Good morning. Boy, I'll tell you what, we are empty today, aren't we? Last week, can you believe all we had? Every you know, it was like everybody was here basically pretty well. I think Michael was about the only one that was, and he was a Michigan. We have all Michigan people. Well, well one of them was here. <laughs> but anyway, um, so we're ready to study God's word, right? Here we go. Uh, we are in Revelation 20, verses 7 through 10. I want to ask you a question, and it's this. How is it possible for someone to have full revelation of Christ, living in the very kingdom of God where Christ is ruling on the earth, and also all of His people, the glorified saints, are there, and yet with this full revelation of Christ, with all the light that one possibly could get, ever, ever in the history of man, never at this time will there be this kind of revelation, and yet, there will be people who will fully reject Christ um, in full revelation. It, that is amazing. That's a tragedy. And it has horrific consequences. How could ever, anyone ever turn against Christ and His glory and His beauty? How could they do that with Him being on earth and experiencing all the things in that kingdom. It's like a paradise. It's almost like at the time of the Garden of Eden. Something in that nature, and yet to reject the very Word of God, to reject Christ. Well, that did happen before, didn't it? It happened in the Garden of Eden. And as a result, it happens by the nature of man. Everyone rejects Christ until there's a work of... Uh, God and His Spirit in us. But it's astounding and it's hard for me to believe that people could be living in this kind of situation that is so beautiful and great and still reject Christ. How is that possible? And that's what we're going to be talking about today. This setting that we are in in Revelation 20, it's given us all sorts of details of the kingdom. God doesn't have to give us these details. But there they are. They're all written down by the Apostle John and giving us what it's going to be like for a, a thousand year period. And that we have seen in Revelation 20 when it first started off that Satan is going to be removed along with all of his henchmen, the demons. They're all going to be locked up. And, excuse me. <laughs> and the thing is, is that there will be no Satan tempting and deceiving the nations during this thousand year period. No demonic influence, no satanic influence whatsoever, no supernatural world in, as far as that is concerned. Imagine the world without a devil and the demons. Imagine that. Living in a kingdom that is light and peace and joy, perfect happiness and blessedness, can you imagine living in that time? Well, yeah, we do. We do all the time, don't we? But, you know, just having the devil and the demons out of the way would be just something at that time, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it make a much better place just with Satan out of the, out of the area? With no chance to tempt anyone. So, uh, here we are. We're going to be there as glorified saints. And we're going to be doing things there. Uh, ruling and reigning with Christ. Carrying out His purpose in every 
way. We will never sin there as glorified saints. You can say, well, how can people be unbelievers at a time that is the kingdom? How does that happen? Is that true? And in our text today, yes it is, because people are going to follow Satan whenever he comes back. We're calling this message today the return of Satan. Now we've looked at the return of Christ, but the return of Satan. He will be locked up, but then he'll be unleashed at that end of thousand years. That's what the text says. What are we going to be doing during that time? Well, that's what we looked at last week. We're not just going to be sitting around in clouds playing the harps, as they say, or we were going to be doing much, much better. Although, playing guitar, Josh, would be fun playing it all the time, wouldn't it? And praising God. But there are a lot of other things that we're going to be doing and seeing that it's just going to be amazing. And it's just going to be better and better and better and better the more that we will see and experience. Now, what happens when we come to our text today, we're going to be at the end of a thousand year kingdom. What happens at the end of a thousand year kingdom? Well, we go right into the eternal state, right? Well, we will. And we'll have glorified bodies, we know that. But what about Satan? He's been locked up. Is he locked up there in that abyss forever? Well, no, he's not. He's been thrown into the abyss, but he returns to do his last evil and rebellious act that he will ever do. And never again will we see anything of Satan and the demons thrown into the lake of fire. The deceiver will again, though, make a huge influence on man just at the very last part of the thousand years. Whenever that's completed, he is unleashed. It's not going to last long at all. But he's going to lead people to battle against God once again. You've already read the back of the book. You know how it finishes. But this is what we're going to be looking at today. We've come all through, all the way through a thousand years and now we're right at the end of it and ready for the eternal state. After the great white throne judgment upon unbelievers, unbelieving people that will be raised, then in chapter 21 and 22 we're going to be speaking nothing of heaven, of the eternal inheritance that we look forward to. Let's read our word in Revelation 20. Let's stand in honor of His word. We read it. This is precious stuff. Most people try to avoid this book of Revelation because it's too controversial and they just can't understand it. Well, we've been on this for quite some time. Are you guys understanding some of it? I think you are. Here's where we're at today, 20 verse 7 through 10. When the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together for the war. The number of them is like the sand of the seashore. And they came up on the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city and fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are also and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. 
Dearly Father, thank You for Your Word and thank You for revealing it to us. Lord, bring this Word into our own hearts. Speak to us today as You are speaking to us constantly. Make this Word fresh. Make it real to us, Lord, so that we can glorify You more as we honor Your Word. In Jesus' name, Amen. It says in verse 7, When the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from the prison. Okay, we've gone through the thousand years of Satan. Well, isn't there more detail on that? Well, we've gotten more than we deserve. Because now he brings it right up to this time where it seems rather strange that God, after having a time of peace and joy and refreshment, that He allows Satan and the demons to come back to this earth to start a revolt. Seems kind of strange, and that's why some people have trouble with this. But it's part of God's story. So once again, the number of thousand shows up. And it's associated with years. Thousand years. Did you know how many times it is listed in here in the first seven verses? Six. Six times. Thousand years. I cannot help but take this literally. It's been going right along, and so with some of those things, Satan is bound up. He's never been bound up and thrown into the abyss, has he? There were certain demons who were, but not him and other demons. So at this time, we know it is. It's not been in the past. It's not now. So it has to be in the future, and it can't be in the eternal state. So what's that leave us for this time period? Anything else, you have to spiritualize it and allegorize it and say, well, it really doesn't mean a thousand years. It just means for a long time. And the millennials will say that. The thousand years is what we're living in now, and that time period is really, it's not a thousand years. It's because it's been two thousand years. It really doesn't matter. God is just saying for a long time, this is what's going to happen. And Satan is bound. That means really... He, but he's deceiving the nations, isn't he? He'll deceive the nations no longer. So what do they do with that? Well, they say, well, he's on a leash. Well, he's always been on a leash. He only does what God permits him to. It's always been that way. Even in the Garden of Eden. God could have kept that from happening. But he didn't. It's part of his story. There are a lot of reasons for that. Uh, and we are not God. He is God. But here it is. Six times that phrase is, and if you look through the first seven verses, you can count that, you'll see it. Now, uh, Revelation 20, verse 3, it says, And he threw him into the abyss, this angel did, shut it, sealed it over him, so that he would not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed. And so it picks it up right here in verse 7 when the thousand years are completed. Here's what happens. So he didn't deceive the world for that period of time. Now he's going to deceive. There was no demonic influence. Now there is demonic, satanic influence. Did you know when Christ came here, satanic and demonic influence ran rampant. There were just literally hundreds and hundreds of people that were possessed, and Jesus delivered them from the possession. You remember that, right? Well, Satan was active during the time that Christ was here. This time, 
the angel comes along, throws him into the abyss. Christ rules and reigns, and there's no other ruler underneath him in that sense. And uh, Satan is no longer the prince of the power of the air, is he? But he returns to earth here. That's what it says here. He's unlocked, uh, unleashed for a short time, it says. And where did I pick that up? We're right at the end of verse 3, Revelation 20, verse 3. It says, for a short time. It says, these things he must, uh, after these things he must be released. For a short time. He must. It has to happen. Why is that? Because God planned it that way. It has to happen. So, um, then the, the question is this. Why would God allow during this glorious period as it happens and then at the end of it for everything just to go crazy and have people turn against Him? Why is that? Well, the story is written by God and was written before the foundation of the world you ever read a mystery? You ever read a book and you can't wait to see what the next event is and the next event? Well, the author of all authors is God. And we are in this book in the sense that He's the author and we are in His story. He wrote the story. We are on the stage right now. And we're acting out our parts and it's going to go down exactly the way that He has designed. With all the evil and the devil and demons and unbelievers all a part of it. Satan is doing a great evil. He's going to disrupt perfectly peaceful earth. And it's only under the rule though and the plan of God. Satan does what he wants, but yet God is the one that is allowing that and making it happen. And yet at the same time, he is totally not involved with sin whatsoever. God is a holy God. So, how do you put that all together? Well, our human minds can only go so far and ultimately we cannot put that together in our minds. But we can say God has this in total control, even in the time that we live now. These things are happening because they have to happen before Christ comes back. So that's interesting, isn't it? But I will tell you, I think there is a reason why God does it. I know there are a lot of reasons, and I think I have one. And I'm not going to answer that right at the moment. Be on the edge of your seats, and we'll see why I think at least one answer can be um, there before us. I do believe it will help us. You might already know what that is, but you remember that Christ was crucified by evil men. And that seems something that God would allow that to happen. But it had to happen because if it didn't happen, we sitting here would be most to be pitied. Believing in Christ crucified would be ridiculous. If it didn't happen, right? That was God's plan. How do we get our sins removed? Christ had to be done. So evil men did it on their own will, but yet it was in God's plan and purpose. Look it up. Chapter uh, 1 of the book of Acts. So, um, Satan was released from prison. 
Uh, we know that in verses 1 through 3, the angel got a hold of him, bound him up, threw him into the abyss, shut up the uh, abyss, he sealed it. After a thousand years, he's released. So here we are. This is where we're at in the text. He's called the deceiver, isn't he? It says in the first thousand, in that thousand years, that he would deceive the nations no longer during that time, until that time is up. He is called the deceiver. That's really a, a part of his nature. That's who he is. He is the dece- he deceives people, doesn't he? That's what he does. Would you say that that is his mo? Method of operation. That's how he operates. That's how he did it to Adam and Eve. That's how he's done it to believers, unbelievers, all throughout history up to now and all the way up through the thousand year kingdom all the way till the very end when there's judgment. And then from there on, there will never, as he is judged, never be that again. Deception of the nations. Look at Revelation chapter 12, verse 9. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil, and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and angels. That's whenever he was thrown to earth, he was kicked out of heaven. Then he's kicked out of the earth and thrown into the abyss. Then God brings him out of the abyss for His purpose. But He deceives the whole world. That's what He's doing right now, isn't He? Deceiving the whole world. It's a mess out there. What's happening? Satan is doing that. Ultimately. Of course, we know that man in his flesh uh, is deceived. Man does things in his own flesh too, but Satan is the one that uses that and uh, puts it into action ultimately to do what he does. In 20 verse 3, we uh, we saw that he deceives the nation. He deceives the nations no longer at that time. Second Corinthians 4:4 4 says he blinds the minds of unbelievers. That's what he's doing now. That's what he's done since the Garden of Eden. Whenever the deception came in there, he blinds the minds of unbelievers. He will do it during the tribulation. He won't do it through the thousand years and then He will do it at the very end after the thousand years. He will blind the minds of unbelievers. That means there will be people who have not trusted in Christ as their Savior during that millennium. Okay, let's look at, as we advance here, a thousand years are completed. Verse 7, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive. We've covered all that, right? the nations which are in the four corners of the earth. That's north, south, east, west. Somebody might say, corners? That sounds like a square. Don't they know any better whoever wrote this? Well, that is saying that from all over. North, south, east, west. There will be nations all over the globe who will come and follow Satan. And you've got here Gog and Magog. And that's interesting. Magog is uh, first appearing in Genesis chapter 10, verse 2. Do you know who Magog is? Well, you might know a man by the name of Noah in the book of Genesis. You know about Noah. 
In Genesis 10.2 it says, The sons of Japheth, and that was uh, Noah's son, Japheth, his sons were Gomer and Magog. Did you get that? Um, it's like Japheth and his family wound up heading north. And you get Madal and Javon and Tubal and Meshach. And, Ty- and if you look at that, some of these were cities that you could see in Russia. Uh, it's the north of the Caspian Sea. And there was a kingdom established there north of Israel, uh, north of the Black and the Caspian Seas that today is known as Russia. And so you see places there or cities and and areas where those people would have gone. They were ancient enemies of the Lord. And so we get this Gog and Magog. There's Magog. Who's Gog? Well, we don't know for sure, but it could be uh, the ruler of that area, Magog. And you see Ezekiel 38.2 appear also which is probably during the um, tribulation or just before the tribulation. I don't know for sure. And it could be at this time. There are different uh, arguments on this. But in verse 2 it says, Ezekiel 38.2, Son of man, set your face toward Gog of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal, and prophesy against him says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O God, Prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubalsk, which was a city in Russia, some of those are. And then it mentions Gomer, and it mentions Betagarma, that's Turkey and Middle East nations and such are listed in there. I'm not going to take the time to do that. But uh, I can say that during that time there are many nations that would be underneath the leadership of Russia. So they play a big part in the end times. Anyway, it says in verse 8 of back to Revelation 20 that He gathers these nations together for the war. This is the great war at the end of the thousand years. The number of them is like the sand of the seashore. He gathers them for war, deceiving methods. How does Satan do it? Well, he deceives the people. They know about Christ. They know that He's the King of the earth. And Satan is going to overthrow Christ. He's going to use these nations to do it. How do they believe after knowing the power of Christ? Knowing what He has done for them and seeing Him. Knowing Him personally. You know, it's like face to face. They're numbered like the sand and seashore all over the world. Sand of the seashore, well, that's, there's so much sand, grains of sand, that how can you count them? How can, do we take that literally? Well, we see it's symbolic. We use our brains on this. Uh, the same thing was said to Abraham. Look at the stars and count them. As many as there are, you, you know, your sons will be. He's talking about people descending from him. And then he said, look at the, just as many as the sands of the seashore. It's found in Genesis 22.17 if you want to look that up. Uh, what is he saying? He's saying there's going to be a lot of people. Multitudes. 
that are going to come to you from Abraham. Abraham didn't have any children. And God is saying that. And they did. It was a nation of Israel. Uh, Abraham is a father of that. So here we get it again. There's going to be millions of people who are going to turn against Christ after He has led them in a perfect time of peace and joy. A beautiful, perfect place to live in compared to the way it was during the tribulation. And so... What you have is something that is incredible. Um, what you have is the depravity of man on display at its zenith. Why in the world would people who have experienced the good of all goods of the kingdom want to go and follow Satan and do his things? I will tell you, they are a people that will receive more revelation than any time and any people have ever experienced on this earth ever. In the past, what we see now, I mean, that's amazing. We have the finished Word of God. In the Old Testament, they didn't, did they? At best, they had the Old Testament at the time of Jesus. Uh, and of course, if you go all the way back, uh, they they didn't even have the Bible in a sense. It was written down and handed down, and truth was given. And Moses was able to compile all that and be the author of the old uh, first five books. And then we have prophets. So did you see as it goes along in the Old Testament builds up, and we see the covenant be extended upon. God's promises uh, through Noah and Moses uh, through David. And then Ezekiel was given the covenant and it was all revealed. And uh, you know what? I think it's cool in here. (laughs) So I'm going to back this down. Or up, what do you call it? Okay. Um... The completed Word of God we have. Now, here's what I want you to think. Get a hold of this. They are going to have what we have now in the completed Word of God, right? They're going to have Christ ruling and reigning on earth and there's no other you know, other people except the glorified saints who are ruling and reigning with them. And you say, well... Are we saying glorified people are going to turn against God? No, never. That can't happen. That tells me there has to be people that are in the kingdom that are not believers. Right? What else could it be? Who else could it be? It's people who... Who are the people that go into the kingdom? Are they believers? In their fleshly bodies. We we return back and come back with Christ and glorified bodies. There are people like the 144,000, we think of them, we think of the two witnesses, you think of all the Jews who become believers, then Gentiles. And a lot of them are martyred, and then, but then there are others like the 144,000 that go on in, and other people who have looked upon Christ as He comes back, and they go into the kingdom in earthly bodies, in the flesh like we do. And they live amongst us, in our glorified bodies 
And they are believers too. They will never change as it starts. But we see also that they will have children. And those children will have children. And those children will have children. People will live for hundreds of years. And I'm going to show that in a moment in case you're hearing that for the first time. And what do we have? Well, these will become believers or not. That means they will be living in the same kind of situation that we are now. Their parents, if they were imported right onto the kingdom, are believers for good. But we see that this will happen. There will be a revolt against God. And there will be sins going on during that time, but how does God stamp it out? He rules with a rod of iron. He uses us, the saints, Old Testament, New Testament saints, to put out the fire immediately. So we will live in about the best condition that this world has ever known except for the time of innocence when Adam and Eve lived here before sin happened. Well, that's amazing, isn't it? Can you believe that none of those commandments will really be broken and when they are, it is finished. That will be taken and done away. These people are revealed at the very zenith, the very top of the mountain as far as revelation. No man has ever had that kind of revelation. But I do want to humble us. We have had more revelation than all the saints up to John the Baptist than anybody ever before that. And then the apostles wrote the rest of the story Christ was here. The apostles were here. They wrote it. They closed it. The canon is closed. We know that everything we have is everything God has given us. There's nothing new. It's all here. But then they will have it all. And here's what's interesting. They will have the book of Revelation. It will be taught too amongst all the books. Did you know what we're reading here today? those people will know probably more thoroughly than what we know right now of what's going to happen. They will have read about the tribulation and the, the trumpet judgments, the bowl judgments, all the seals. They will know about Christ coming back. They will know about Satan being put into the kingdom. They will all be reading that. They will have their own studies. They will know. They will know this. Right where we're at today, they will know that Satan will be unleashed from the abyss. And they might even be reading it when they're saying, look, this is Satan. Look what he's doing right now. He's getting all the nations together. And I'm going to go follow him. They're going to know this more thoroughly than anybody ever. I think that's one of the reasons why God does this. Even at the height of Revelation, people say, well, you have to know certain things. People ask this crazy question. Well, what about the people in India? What about the people in the jungles of Africa and South America that have never heard? Well, I want to tell you that's not true. Because Romans 1 says God, through the light of nature, has revealed Himself. And if they want that light, they will get it. You see... God has already revealed Himself. We did that in our confession this morning of revelation of just showing what is out in creation. But the Word is even higher. But how about whenever He's there with them? 
And then they're reading it happen before their eyes and they go and do it anyway. That's, that tells me what's happening in some of the craziest things that are that's happening today that doesn't make a bit of sense. It makes my head spin. And I have to keep telling myself, they don't have God's truth. That's why. If I didn't have God's truth, you know what? I would probably do what they're doing out there. The mercy and grace of God. What keeps us from doing insane things and saying and believing insane things that totally destroys the, the planet? I mean, as far as what they're trying to do, it destroys the economy, destroys education, financially, you name it. If everything is going to be destroyed by mankind, God will not let them destroy the earth. And they will take an antichrist to get people together and then God's going to send all those judgments. We've seen all this. But here it is. And whether you've got a little bit of revelation, which everybody does, or the most revelation ever, they're in the same boat. It doesn't matter, see? Because without Christ and His grace, His mercy, people will not or will ever want the truth. And as I read that this week, it struck on me even more and more. They will not because they cannot. You see, God is making it very clear and this is an easy principle. He is God and man is not. He is God and Lucifer is not. Lucifer wanted to be like the Most High. He was not. God made it very clear. He comes down in Satan as Satan deceives Eve, Adam. And it was like you can be like God. That's really what it was. You know what the nature of man is now ever since then? We have no desire for God because when I say we, I'm talking about mankind in general and that's every man, woman, and child who's ever been born in this earth at any time, even during the kingdom. They will not trust in Christ because it's going to take all the fun out of they want to be in control. Pride. Self. You see, that's what it's all about. Man wants to be controlling it all. Man has gotten to the point that he thinks he can control the weather. Climate control. Just like we control the climate in this room with the air conditioning, the heaters and such out there, we're going to control the climate here on the earth. Here's what we'll do, right? Oh, the mankind. He is going to make things better. Mankind is. That's the way that they think. And we are going to run roughshod over anybody who has any kind, any kind of the beliefs that has always been around. Anything that resembles truth we want out of here and we're going to start all over and make our own truth. That is where it has gotten. That's where we're at. You give man that length of chain and he will always go there and everybody goes there. 
It takes the grace of God to do it. No man has an excuse. And that's why I think it's one of the reasons why He uses a thousand year kingdom and yet there will be people by the millions turn against what makes sense the truth. Does that make sense to you guys? Does that help describe what in the world is going on? Literally. You know, from first century of mankind to the very kingdom. Man's nature is bent. Nothing external, no matter how good it is, can change mankind. No matter how bad it is, nothing can change mankind's heart. Sin, death, hell, the curse. Those are all present during the thousand year millennial kingdom. He said, what, what kind of enjoyment are we going to get out of that? <laughs> First of all, remember, you can't sin. You're glorified. Everything you do. And we'll see a glimpse of what God has been putting up with for all this time period. Because <laughs> it's still there. Sin, death, the curse. What man does here at this time of the kingdom is the pity epitome of what man is all about. The believers who are still on the earth when Christ comes back will be taken into the kingdom when Christ comes back that, that time, His second coming. We're still in our natural bodies. I mean, there will be people in their natural bodies that will produce and produce and produce. They will have children, there will be other children and other children. Many of them will turn out to be non-believers just like it happens today. Hundreds of years, there will be a big, big number of disobedient, unconverted unbelievers. These are the ones who are deceived by Satan. Now, I have to prove that. Isaiah chapter 65, verse 20. No longer will there be in it. And this is during the time of the, the kingdom. Okay, if you look at the text and context going before, I don't have the time, but if you want to do that later, do it. No longer will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days. Babies are not going to die as soon as they're born, stillborn, or like a couple of days or so. Or an old man who does not live out his days. For the youth will die at the age of 100. What's that tell you? At the age of 100, the youth... Well, you'll be a, a youth when that happens. <laughs> you'll be a young man. Does it tell us something that people are going to live for hundreds and hundreds of years? Yes, it does. During the time of the first centuries of this earth, did that not happen? And the one does not reach the age of 100 will be thought accursed. This is not talking about at that time period, is it? It's the new heavens, the new earth, or during... That is going to come a little bit later, but he's talking that time period in the future during the millennial kingdom. And if you don't reach to 100 years old, you will be considered accursed. There's curse. There's sin. People will die. God will take them out of the earth. 
at maybe 100 years old, and uh, that would be, they, sh- they are really meant to live hundreds of years old. And so you would be a youth if you died at that time. This is an entirely different time period. You can say that's ridiculous. Why is it? This happened before where people lived for hundreds of years, didn't they? And there was a canopy over the earth at one time. And things changed, though, we know, as, as that time, and then it got to where we're at now, and people very rarely live to be a hundred. But it says they will build houses and inhabit them. They'll plant vineyards and eat their fruit, and they will not build, and another inhabit. They will not plant it, and, uh, and another eat. For as a lifetime of a tree, so will be the days of my people. Uh, did you get that? So it's, there's going to be productivity. There's going to be uh, you know, food grown. It's going to be in abundance. God is going to rain upon them. And it, it won't be the kind of rain that we've had recently. It's probably gentle rains. Everything is perfect. Not the outrageous storms that we have. It's going to be a, a great, beautiful place to be. And in Zechariah 14, we get another part of that text. 14 is the return of Christ. Uh, you look at the text. Verse 1 is when the nations come around Israel. This is before the tribulation. Then you see at the Mount of Olives, Christ comes back in that day in verse 4 and He stands there. It's the return of Christ. Uh, and it says in verse 9, And the Lord will be King over all the earth. In that day, the Lord will be the only one and His name the only one. He's the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He's the King of the earth in that day. This is the millennial kingdom. There will be festivals to come to. If you don't come to that, you will be cursed. That means there will be sin. There will be disobedience. But remember, it's put out quickly. 17 through 19. Uh, it will be that whichever the families of the earth does not go up to Jerusalem to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, there will be no rain on them. The family of Egypt does not go up or enter, then no rain will fall on them. It will be the plague with which the Lord smites the nations who do not go up to celebrate the Feast of Booths. This will be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all the nations who do not go up to celebrate the Feast of Booths. There will be nations. Did you see that? They will go up to celebrate feasts. There will be a millennial temple there also built. Ezekiel chapter 40 through 48 gives us the dimensions and a real temple at that time. How can people ignore those? Well, they do and say, well, that's like, that's now. We are the, we're the temple. Uh, and what about the dimensions? Well, that's just saying how important of a part we'll have in the eternal state. Uh, they've got major problems with that. I'm telling you, I think that is denying the very truth that is before us. I, I take pity on somebody who doesn't examine these. And they do. They do, but they hold to the old tradition of Alexandrianism, the Alexandrian theologians, and that actually was kind of uh, endorsed by uh, Augustine, who then the Reformers took very much after. But if you look at early church history, Polycarp, who was an apostle of the Apostle John, I mean, he's a follower of John, he wasn't an apostle, but uh, a disciple of John, and uh, Origen and uh, Irenaeus and other people that early church fathers very early in the first and second century believed in a millennial kingdom just like we do. And uh, many reformers did. Like I said, Spurgeon believes in that in our time. John MacArthur believes in the millennial kingdom. 
Uh, many of the other reformers don't. They're all millennial and post-millennial. Won't get into that matter of time. But do you see these are the texts that explain a time period where there's sin and death and a curse. People live for hundreds of years. They have to spiritualize all of that. What does it mean? To me, it means nothing. It's ethereal. It really means that we can spiritualize the rest of the Bible if we want. We can wreak havoc with the rest of the Bible. Thousand years doesn't mean a thousand years, even though it's six times. And whenever you see thousand and you see years, you put it together just like the rest of the Bible. Six-day creation, if you believe in a six-day creation, well, it's because you take it literal, don't you? And that's the way it's through. I get a little bit uh, excited when I come to that. Uh, but uh, it is so true. I believe it is, because as we look at Revelation here, it is the biggest part of what happens. We get more here in Revelation 20 about the Millennial Kingdom and what happens during it and right after it. And we get it in a chronological order for the most part, don't we? So Revelation 19.19, 19, um, I think we read Zechariah, didn't we? In 19.19 19, we had read this earlier. It says... And I saw the beast and the king of the earth and their armies assembled to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. What's that? That's before Christ comes. A thousand years later, people do it again. The same thing. And that's why I pushed the thing. Here's why God's doing it. Mankind is without excuse. He's revealed everything that he needs. And at this time, these people by all means are. But it shows the heart of man. With that kind of heart, they will still reject Christ. And there's nothing else to reveal any longer. What else is there? Outside of the eternal state, they'll never be there. We finish off Revelation uh, 20 and verse 9. And they came up on the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city and fire came down from heaven and devoured them. The devil who deceived them was thrown in the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are also and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Here's the rebellion of the nations in verse 9. The whole world is again, again is against Jerusalem. Zechariah 14, whole world comes up against Jerusalem. In our time right now, the whole world basically is against Jerusalem and all of Israel. They have been down through the years. Now it says a broad plain. In Zechariah 14, 9, we see that, it, that Christ will be ruling on the earth and uh, at this time of the kingdom. In Zechariah 14, you keep on reading down from 9. Look at this. I think this is rather interesting. Verse 10, And all the land will be changed unto a plain. From Geba to Remon, south of Jerusalem, where Jerusalem will rise and remain on its side from Benjamin's gate as far as the place of the first gate to the corner gate from the Tower of Hananel to the king's wine presses. People will live in it and there will be no longer be a curse for Jerusalem who will dwell in security. It will be a safe city. Uh, so it, it's a plain. And it says here a broad plain. And most of the mountains, as we look in uh, Revelation chapter 16, verse 20, look what happens during the tribulation. Long before this, look what happened. And every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. You know what happens? The earth is leveled. The oceans become a lot 
milder and gentler. Everything becomes a lot more peaceful as glass. Later on, the eternal state will see everything is perfect. What do you think? What's that say? People uh, change. The earth changes. The mound on which Zion exists will be there though. It's not to say there won't be some hills and such, but it won't be like what we're seeing today. In general, the earth will be flattened out and they come up on this broad plain of the earth, surround the camp of the saints. It looks like they're going to attack all of the saints there in Jerusalem. The king is there. He lets them come all the way up there. Satan leading it all, right? And you know what? It says that there will be fire come down from heaven. Luke 9.54 James and John, when his disciples, James and John, saw this, Lord, do you want... There was people that didn't receive him. This town didn't. James and John said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? He <laughs> turned around and rebuked him. You know, that's interesting. Fire from heaven. Okay, Interesting. That's been done before. If you think of Elijah, the prophet, he was validated as a prophet. Fire from heaven. 2 Kings 1.9 Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed. Fire came down from heaven. Fire and brimstone. In the tribulation, there will be the two witnesses and they will call down fire from heaven. And here we have fire from heaven coming down to destroy all the millions of people that are coming up in the broad plain that are coming to destroy Christ. (laughs) And His people, they're devoured, burned up. Uh, They will then have the great white throne judgment. They will be resurrected, resurrection bodies, so they can live out for eternity in the fire, the lake of fire. Now we finish it up in verse 10. The deceiver and the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire. Who deceived them? Never to deceive and tempt to, and to accuse again. He accuses us night and day. He will never do that again. Revelation 19 verse 20. Back up a little bit. And the beast was seized and with him the false prophet. The Antichrist, right? And the false prophet who performed signs in his presence by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were thrown into the lake of fire which burns with brimstone. So throughout the millennial kingdom, the beast and the false prophet are already in the lake of fire. God preserves Satan and puts him into the abyss and the demons. And then they're released And they think they're doing their thing and then God throws them, the demons, and Satan into the lake of fire. What about all the unbelievers there who join the forces? They get resurrection bodies. And that's the second resurrection. Do you remember last week 
when we talked about blessed are the ones who are part of the first resurrection, that's all believers of all time. Second resurrection are the ones who will be judged at the great white throne judgment. We're not there. Because you see, our sins were judged at the cross. Their sins will be judged at the great white throne. They'll be tormented day and night. They'll be tormented without relief forever. Tormented day and night forever. We the saints have a great privilege, folks, because we would have done the same thing as anybody else. There has been a heart change to us and He's made us people of the book, people of the truth. We desire it, don't we? We just got details of what will be happening later on in the future. And there will be people who will know what we know intellectually and they'll say, you know what? I'm going to follow Satan and be a part of that army. Satan already knows this himself. He knows the Bible better than we do. The demons believe it and they shudder because they know their future. Unbelievers, though, have the truth. They are responsible to respond to it. We have the truth. Give it. Receive it. Give it. I think it's the best privilege that we have here on this earth that we're here to give the truth of God. And you know, we are worshiping God in spirit and truth and we will worship Him forever and ever. It's either that or be tormented day and night forever and ever. Aren't you glad that we get to worship forever and ever and ever and ever in the most perfect way that we ever could. Great God, holy God, thank you for showing this to us, for giving us understanding and putting it into our hearts. Lord, we give you all the glory. And Lord, we look to the day of this thousand year kingdom and all your purpose and plan as we will carry it out perfectly as we don't always do here today in this world. But help us, Lord, to die more and more to self because that is man's problem. They can't believe you and that's what you are trying to show everyone that nobody can be God and to play God. But that is such a hard truth to believe even though to us it is so simple. You are the one that has shown that to us. In Jesus' name, we go out of here praising You. Amen.